More and more, professionals are finding uses for Botox in the clinical setting. In combination with endoscopic surgery, Botox is being used by the Center for Craniofacial Disorders at the Children's Healthcare of Atlanta as an innovative way to treat torticollis. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, Professor of Surgery at Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. Fernando Burstein, Clinical Associate Professor of Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery at Emory School of Medicine and the Medical Director for the Center for Craniofacial Disorders at the Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. Welcome, Dr. Burstein. Thank you. Today we are discussing the use of endoscopic surgery in combination with Botox treatments to cure torticollis. Dr. Burstein, what is endoscopic surgery and how does that compare to what was done traditionally in torticollis? Endoscopic surgery simply refers to the use of a special optical instrument that can both allow you to make a smaller incision and magnify the site of operation. It's being used in many types of surgery, general surgery for removal of the gallbladder, arthroscopic knee surgery, and this is simply an adaptation of that. The advantage is that the incisions can be quite a bit smaller, making the recovery quite a bit easier for the patients. And how long has endoscopic surgery for torticollis been done? I've started doing it about 10 years ago. Do you find that the results of endoscopic surgery is equivalent or better than traditional surgery? Yes, although there is a little bit of a learning curve technically, at least in my experience, I certainly prefer it for a number of reasons. So let's talk about a child who presents to you with torticollis. When do you usually see the child? Most of the time, ideally, I like to see them when they're three months of age or so. When and why problem. is that, sir? Because it's very important to begin therapy, physical therapy, early in the course before there has been a chance for facial plagiocephaly or crookedness, asymmetry to take place. And the best chance for getting a normal facial development is if the problem is taken care of before the child is much above a year of age. So therefore, you always start with physical therapy? Yes. Are there any situations where you will go straight away to surgical intervention? Rarely. Only in the very, very severe cases when the therapists themselves request surgical intervention to be followed by therapy. And how do you use Botox and endoscopic surgery together? They're not used exactly at the same time, but they're adjuvant and complementary to each other. For example, in a child that has had long-standing torticollis and is over 12 months of age, sometimes around two to three years of age, the muscles that are around the sternocleidomastoid muscle can become quite tight. And at that point, I have my physiatrist inject the muscles pre- or post-operatively to help us with the physical therapy. Alternatively, the Botox can be used as a trial to see if relaxing the sternocleidomastoid muscle can help the therapist with stretching and breaking up the scar tissue. Is endoscopic surgery a challenging surgery for the surgeon? There is a, a little bit of a learning curve, but surgeons that are being trained in most disciplines now do have some experience with endoscopic surgery, the optics, the hand movements, etc. Although there is a little bit of a technical learning curve, once it's learned, I found it to be, in many cases, much easier for me than the old open techniques. For our listeners, in thinking about the old open techniques when talking about release of fibrosis or bands and endoscopic surgery, is there a big difference in the technical approach? There is a difference in the technical approach in that the magnification 
from the endoscope can allow you to be more precise and preserve branches of the spinal accessory nerve to the proximal and distal portions of the sternocleidomastoid muscle. Therefore, you will still have a functioning muscle. If you don't preserve the branches, then the lower half of the muscle after it's transected is essentially de-innervated. Has injury to the spinal accessory nerve been a problem with the open technique in the past? It can be if you don't monitor the nerve with a nerve monitor or if you don't try to stimulate for the nerve with a small electrical stimulator at the time. Well, how common was the spinal accessory nerve injured in this? I can't give you a percentage, but it's certainly a common injury. A common injury? Yes. What are the functional problems when someone transects the spinal accessory Well, you nerve? can have winging of the scapula where the trapezius and scapular muscles are not being innervated. You can have atrophy of those muscles. So one of the reasons that endoscopic surgery has a great advantage is in seeing the spinal accessory nerve? I feel that it does because the magnification is, is very nice to have. You can magnify three to five times depending on how close you are to the nerve and actually see each muscle fascicle as you're dividing it. Is the length of time under anesthesia the same between endoscopic surgery and traditional surgery? Once I became very familiar with the technique, my length of time is, is just about exactly the same. If you're not as familiar with the technique, it will take you somewhat longer. If you have just joined us, you are listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM157. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, Professor of Surgery at Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. Fernando Burstein, Clinical Associate Professor of Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery at Emory School of Medicine and the Medical Director for the Center for Craniofacial Disorders at the Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. We are discussing the use of endoscopic surgery in combination with Botox treatments to cure torticollis. Dr. Burstein, the child who has endoscopic surgery, is this an outpatient procedure? Yes, it is. And I take this is done under general anesthesia. It is done under general anesthesia in an outpatient setting and takes me 45 minutes or so. And how quickly does the child regain full use of their neck? Almost immediately. And the children do not have undue pain from this? They rarely take any pain medicine. Well, why then, if endoscopic surgery is so successful, why wouldn't you approach this first in conjunction with physical therapy? Well, usually the physical therapy alone prevents having to have surgery. And only in those cases that are refractory to conservative therapy is surgery offered. After endoscopic surgery, is it common to have to do a second or third procedure? I have not had to do that in my experience. And so this is not a terribly risky surgery in of itself? No. There are important structures under the sternocleidomastoid muscle uh, that must be protected regardless of the technique. In the United States, how many centers are using endoscopic surgery for torticollis? As far as I know, we're the only ones. Why do you think that is? I'm not sure. I've tried to talk to a lot of my colleagues and uh, tried to tell them what a great technique it is, but there is a little bit of a learning curve. Well, let's play the devil's advocate. You've been doing this for 10 years, which is a fair amount of time. Why do you think your colleagues in other parts of the country have been somewhat recalcitrant to doing this technique? Well, I think, number one, if you're used to doing the surgery open, you can do it very, very quickly. So if you have something that takes quite a bit longer, there's more expensive equipment, and there's a learning curve, there is some discouragement to uh, approaching a new technique like this. I think eventually people will catch on and, and they will start doing it. 
Well, from the hospital's perspective, can the equipment that you use for the endoscopic surgery and torticollis be used for other procedures? Yes, we're using the same, essentially the same setup as the endoscopic urology procedures, otolaryngology, sinus surgery procedures. The only difference is a little bit of instrumentation and the angulation of the scopes. But essentially, it's the same equipment for any type of endoscopic surgery. And what about complications? The only complication that I've reported that I've had is an older patient, 14 years of age, in which a small vein was cut in the neck and required a small incision in the neck proper to ligate. And can you tell me how successful you have been in terms of your results of your patients? We've had very, very gratifying results. We haven't had to have any redos so far. And so far, all the patients have achieved a a full functional status uh, with very pleased physical therapists. And how many of these have you done? Now about 150. And so you don't see more than, say, 15 a year? They're fairly rare, although, like I say, we're really selecting out only the severe cases. When you're dealing with only 15 cases that you see a year, and you clearly are the center where so many people get referred to, how does anyone get proficient in doing an open procedure or an endoscopic procedure in this problem? That's a good point. Uh, I think one of the things that we've seen is that many times procedures are scattered among different disciplines. So I may only be seeing, you know, 15 or 20 or 25 a year, but my orthopedic colleagues may be seeing the same amount. My general surgery pediatric colleagues may be seeing the same amount. So there is a little dilutional factor. Let's say that someone was doing an open technique and they cut the spinal accessory nerve and they recognized that they cut the spinal accessory nerve right then and there. What should they do? Repair it. And how would that be repaired? And the success rate? It can be repaired through direct suture techniques under magnification. And in a young patient, should have a fairly high success rate. In doing the open technique, is it really that difficult to see the spinal accessory nerve? No. As we published in doing the open technique, as you spread the fascicles of the muscles coming under the greater auricular nerve, the spinal accessory nerve can be seen traversing or bisecting the muscle in almost every case. And in any case, because you're doing it so slowly and only cutting things that you can truly see, you're extremely unlikely to have a mishap where the nerve is cut. In endoscopic techniques, you see the nerve much more clearly because of the magnification, yes? Yes. You can wear loops doing an open technique, but many folks don't. Do you still utilize a nerve stimulation with an endoscopic approach? No. And why is that? because you're actually visualizing the nerve directly. There's no guesswork. In looking at endoscopic surgery for torticollis, do you think that this is the panacea for torticollis that is not cured by physical therapy and Botox? I think it's certainly the best option currently available. Well, where can you see areas of improvement? I think in early recognition by the pediatricians, in aggressive physical therapy, And most importantly is when the physical therapy reaches a plateau where they're not making progress to not continue physical therapy as the only measure, to think about surgery, Botox injection, and other measures if the physical therapy alone is not working. Dr. Burstein, when you have completed the endoscopic surgery on a child and you're pleased with the result, do you continue to follow the patient or does the patient continue to be followed by the pediatrician? 
I like to see the patients for a year or two afterwards. And many of my patients come from out of state or out of the country, and then I follow them through the pediatrician and the physical therapist. The parents are usually great about mailing me photographs and telling me how things are going. And when a child does not completely recover and does not have complete resolution of the torticollis, what's the usual reason? From after surgery? Yes. Usually it's because the surgery was done when they were older. And there's a factor of habituation. There's a factor of the paraspinous and trapezius muscles being shortened. I want to thank Dr. Fernando Burstein, who has been our guest. We have been discussing the use of endoscopic surgery in combination with Botox treatments to cure torticollis. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, and you have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to check out our website at www.reachmd.com, which now features on-demand podcasts of our entire library. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. And thank you for listening.